As the teen tycoon of rock, I'd like to hear them, and I'm sure you would too. Leave him alone, Miss Elsa. You bad luck to him. My name's crazy, honey. What's yours? Bernice! What's the boogeyman? Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. movies podcast my name is anthony king this show is all about author and critic and historian danny perry and his cult movies books we're going to talk about a movie from book number one one of three movies left there's two more movies after this and then book one is put to, it's it's lost to time nobody gets to read it ever again um and then we're going to offer some pairing recommendations and joining me are two lovely gentlemen who have been on this season one who's uh just like on every other episode of this season which uh is very lucky for me very lucky for the listeners uh we'll start with him it's daniel epler from the cobwebs podcast and youtube channel what's up dan Hey man, doing good. Thank you for putting up with me so much during this season. Very kind of you. Are you man? Like I, this was one like nobody was going to talk about it, so I had to throw it out to the, to the Discord and be like, "Hey, I need some help. Somebody talk about this." Uh, so I appreciate you, uh, and I also appreciate Mike Scott from Action for Everyone. Hey Mike, what's going on? Not much, man. Happy to be back here again. Uh, this will be exciting. Um, I have a feeling the conversation will be more interesting than the movie we're going to talk about. Um, so let's just get right into it. I didn't even shit. Um, I kind of forced this movie on you guys. So I'm going to make Daniel introduce it. Daniel, what are we talking about this week? We are talking about Howard Hawks's Land of the Pharaohs from 1955 starring Joan Collins's Midriff. <laughs> That's true. She is super sexy in this movie. Uh, I, I will give her that. Um, okay, so first time for you, Daniel. Yes, this is the first time you saw it, and you watched first it. First time, on, yeah. You watched it on. Do you, do you own this movie now? You know, I, I thought I was going to buy it because it just came out on Blu-ray from Warner Archive, and I thought, oh, I have an excuse. And then the time came to order it. It was $20, and I'm like, do I really want to spend $20 oh. on Land of the Pharaohs? And I did not. I rented it on streaming, which looked terrible, by the way. Oh, so really? That's too bad. Oh, no. Well, oh, well. Yeah, 20 Good God, I would not spend $20 to own this. No, uh, I, I, despite the fact that I watched it in subpar quality, I still felt I made the right choice. <laughs> good, good. Uh, Mike, have you ever seen Land of the Pharaohs before? I have not. This was a first time for me as well. Um, Mike, you know, honestly, I, I'm kind of lacking in Howard Hawks in general. I mean, I've seen... You know, a decent number, but I, he's certainly not a director that I am uh, as as familiar with as say I am John Ford. Um, sure. You know, so it's uh, there's definitely some 
some uh, some gaps. Uh, and, you know, this, as I'm sure we'll talk about this being kind of a failure for him, uh, you know, this was way down on the list, but I'm glad I had an excuse to watch it because uh, the aforementioned Joan Collins midriff uh, <laughs> really, really uh, was made it worth it. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Like I grew up, um, I don't even think my family, anyone in my family watched Dynasty, but you know, it was part of the zeitgeist, right? In the in the eighties. And so that's how I always knew Joan Collins. Um, and then, you know, you get her in something like this, and it's like, oh, and cause like she was sort of like the Elizabeth Taylor uh during that time too, where it was like, you know, perfume ads and you know, she's kind of soapy. Um, and not to say she's not soapy in this movie it's it's pretty melodramatic her performance i'd say but like danny mentions in uh in his essay it's it's an early role for her and uh we'll get into what he has to say about her more but before we go any further gentlemen shall we watch a little trailer for this here movie let's do it let's do it out of the mists of time out of the eternal sands out of the living rock out of the soul and sinew of thousands upon thousands of men, it rises from the desert's floor as the mightiest monument ever erected to the glory of one man to inspire all men for all time. Egypt, 50 centuries ago, when her culture and civilization flourished in a setting of unequaled pomp and grandeur, when her proud legions had conquered all the world and plundered its treasure to feed the insatiable ambition of the greatest of all pharaohs, Khufu the Magnificent, a man of superhuman strength and courage, yet consumed by a fear so strange that he tried to conceal it beneath a massive man-made mountain of stone. On the sands of the desert, you will raise a pyramid, a structure greater than any other in the world. This pyramid shall be my resting place for the second life. From every corner of the land came teeming multitudes of workers, and then slaves and generations of slaves to wrest the rock from the unyielding earth while armies of wretched humanity suffered and died to haul their colossal burden across the desert to the River Nile for the final journey to the mighty ramps that flanked the pyramid. But while three million stones were being welded together by time and toil, in the golden halls of the palace, another ageless story was being lived by people whose lust and greed, love and hate, are forever embedded in every rock of the Great Pyramid. Vashtar, the captive who held the key to the mystery of the ages. Santa, who traded a pharaoh's ransom for the love of a slave girl. Nelifer, the faithless hostage whose beauty masked her sinful treachery. Hamar, who plotted time's strangest vengeance. And Khufu, the man who thought that he could conquer eternity. do that again. 
Uh, it's what we call false advertising. Can I can I just say that one of the things that constantly bugs me about online film discourse is people bitching about how trailers give away too much. Watch yes. some fucking 1950s trailers. Jesus <laughs> goddamn Christ, you don't need to watch the movie now. Like that is the entire fucking movie. I cut That's that what I always I think, cut that cause... in half too. That was half of what was online. I was like, okay, we don't need to sit through all of it. They this. always go through every plot point. Right. My big problem with trailers today is they hardly tell you anything. And then I go see the movie and I'm like, That's what this is? Right. I never would have guessed. <laughs> yeah. Uh the, okay, so l- l- real quick, let me read uh a little paragraph from Danny and then uh I, I want to say something real quick. Uh okay, he says, Oh, this is how he opens up his essay. There were three films I saw repeatedly as a child in the mid-50s. The Searchers, Rebel Without a Cause, and Land of the Pharaohs. They impressed me equally. One had John Wayne, one had James Dean, and the third has a bunch of bald, tongueless priests who allowed themselves to be buried alive, some cowards who get thrown into the uh, to an alligator pit, and a statuesque beauty with a bare midriff. Over the years, I stored away virtually every scene and image from the Ford and Ray movies, but all I could recall from Land of the Pharaohs were the priests, alligators, and midriff. When I saw it again years later, I understood why I had forgotten so much. Land of the Pharaohs is quite forgettable. It's a movie that appeals more to children than to adults. So it's not surprising that the film's loyal cult seems to be made up almost entirely of people who saw it as kids and distinctly remember what an exciting movie it was. And Okay, so... I want to say two things real quick. The first time I was watching this, when Joan Collins enters the movie, um, and you know, she's, she's sassy and she's not taking his shit. And then they whip her. And for some reason I was like, Oh, she's going to be into this. Like, she's gonna be like, yeah, yeah. Harder. Hit me harder. Whip me harder. Um, and then like, uh, uh, Hawkins, what's his name? Uh, Jack Hawkins, like, you know, takes her back to his place and offers her the wine. She slaps it away. Like the trailer just ended. Uh, we ended with that. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be like kind of like a torrid steamy love affair. And it's, it's, it's like the most boring sexless sort of movie. They try to incorporate romance and, you know, some sexy plot points, but Oh God, uh, gag me with a spoon. Two. Uh, I thought, so I'm a huge fan of, um, the 10 commandments, the Charlton Heston one. And, you know, so I'm kind of into these big, you know, bombastic, uh, epics, right. Historical epics. Uh, and I, it doesn't matter really what the subject matter is that, you know, it's just, it's sort of like a, a big affair. And so I was excited to watch this. And was it with Howard Hawks attached, like his name attached to this? And it's like the biggest, it was the biggest letdown the first time I watched this. Cause I was like, really? So, um, I, I don't know. I, Daniel, I want to get your initial thoughts, uh, because I know you were a little more excited to watch this. Um, but I have a feeling you're sort of in my camp now. <laughs> yeah, I was looking forward to it. I mean, I'm a big Howard Hawks fan. This is one that I hadn't seen. And one thing about it that really appealed to me is it looks like one of those 
big epics like Ten Commandments, like you mentioned, like Ben-Hur, something like that. But it's an hour and 40 minutes. So I thought, oh, I can watch one of those movies and it's not going to take up half my day. Like, that sounds kind of great. Um, so, yeah, I watched it. But thankfully, it wasn't a letdown for me because you had pretty well set me up for what this movie was going to be. So I wasn't expecting much. So when I start watching it and the acting is how it is and the dialogue is how it is and the the way they present the spectacle of it is how they present it. Um, I was like, oh, yes, this is of dramatically lower quality than you would probably expect. Um, and I I didn't hate it. I, I thought parts of it were watchable. And I thought it was interesting how it kept making me think, oh, now the movie's picking up because something interesting is right. happening, sort of like you're mentioning. And then every time they would abandon that plot point, they kept introducing plot points. And I thought, oh, this could be good. Nope, we're done with that. We're moving on to something else. <laughs> and so that, yeah, that's basically, how, that was my experience. Yeah, it's, uh, boy, it's a real head scratcher. All right, Mike, what are your initial thoughts on this movie? Yeah, it's a it's a weird movie, man. Like it it feels like, you know, because that was actually my thought too. Daniel was, oh, well, this looks like an epic. And I am actually not a, a big fan of those 1950s epics. Um, I mean, I like the spectacle of them, but for the most part, they're all very much overwrought, melodramatic, you know, uh, stuff like that. And um I was like, well, this looks like it with at least that opening with all the people and, you know, the thousands of extras that they've got for this and, and stuff like that. And it's an hour and 40 minutes. And I kept watching it and the way it jumps from plot to plot to plot, I'm like, was this supposed to be a three hour epic that they cut in <laughs> half? Because like the actual plot of the movie doesn't really even kick in until over a half an hour in Joan Collins doesn't show up until over a half an hour in the movie. So we've got this whole other plot happening about Khufu wanting a son and wanting to build the pyramid to protect all his treasure and stuff like that. And, and the, the slaves wanting to be, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember Vashtar wanting to, you know, negotiate for freedom for his people. Like that's, that's an entirely different movie than what we ultimately get then for the rest of the movie until at the very end, they kind of like jam them both together in a very weird way. And, and with a three hour epic, like 10 commandments or Ben-Hur or something like that, you're expecting to have multiple plot points because it's, it's, it's a long epic. This just felt, really dis weirdly disjointed and uh you know also from a director who again i admittedly i'm a little weak in my hawks knowledge but of the movies i've seen a director who more or less prides himself on even with long movies being snappy and efficient and and paced well this is weirdly paced i mean there are just so many scenes that almost feel like of people working and almost like musical numbers that I'm like, did you need to pad this out to get like, weirdly, this should have been three hours, but it also feels like you had to pad it out to get to feature runtime. That like you're coming in at like 69 minutes and you had to like pad it out to get to feature <laughs> length. Like it's, it, I'm not going to lie. It was kind of fascinating for a movie. That's kind of as dull as it is. I was watching it really fascinated by it uh 
its existence fascinates me. I never want to watch the movie again, but its existence <laughs> and just the weird way in which it's all these things that don't work is kind of fascinating. I, I'm going to remember the movie long after, you know, we were done talking here. That's really interesting. Okay, so I, I have to admit, so I've seen this two times. And I could have sworn this movie was over two hours long. I thought it was like two hours, 10. And then Daniel, you said it's like an hour 40. I was like, eh, no, he's wrong. And I just looked, of course, you're right. Sitting there last night watching it for the second time. I'm like, God, okay, we're nearing the the two hour mark. So we're getting close. Uh, I just learned I've seen this movie two times and I'm doing a podcast on it right now. I just learned this movie's 105 minutes long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's weird, too, because like the the ending, the whole climax, that feels like it's taken care of in like five minutes. Right. You get like Khufu's death and then uh, Joan Collins, like all her scheming plans blow up. But like there's no like breathing room for that. It's like he dies. She schemes. Boom. End of movie. And and it's like you could have cut. You could have given that a little more room to breathe. It would have been OK. Yeah, uh, man, you're gosh, I, I think f- for me, the reason it feels so long is because there is so goddamn like you guys both you were saying there's so much going on that you know there's a kid that dies right from a snake bite and then that's kind of just put off to this like there's so many freaking things i suppose let me um p i i'm going to assume most of our listeners have not seen this movie um, cause this is one that a lot of people, uh, I just know a lot of people have not seen. So I'm, let me just read the letterbox synopsis real quick. It says a cat, a captured architect designs an ingenious plan to ensure the impregnability of the tomb of a self-absorbed Pharaoh obsessed with the security of his next life, which is true, but that makes it sound way more interesting than this movie really is because they do like they throw in so much shit and before i forget about it mike I, I love that you brought up like the musical aspect of it which is so weird like they are for real like musical numbers but they're these like you know gigantic super wide shots of the slaves you know dragging two ton stones and you know they're building the the pyramid and all this shit and like they're kind of catchy songs and then the other thing i noticed is like it's sort of like a a, a chant sort of song that that they keep singing but they're clapping like on you know they're dun, 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 dun. like they're clapping on the two and four like it's some jovial type of thing but they're slaves but none of it makes sense to me in my head i've seen this movie twice and last night i was still sitting there um less bored i'm with you on this mike kind of more fascinated about what is this goddamn movie because there's so much happening that we don't explore they just kind of throw it out and and like danny writes about in his essay during an interview somebody was interviewing hawks about this and they said tell us about the production of land of the pharaohs and you know he only said 
No, we had fun. Meaning that it was probably like a vacation for him. They got to go to that part of the world to shoot this movie. And it was, you know, just a sort of a freebie. He got to get away for a little bit. Uh, no studio exec sort of breathing down his neck. Um, and you kind of get it. Like, there's no... I don't feel a soul in this movie. Is there a soul in this movie? <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, it, it is funny that Danny Perry is suggesting that he had a vacation. Cause it, I don't know. A lot of times when people say we had fun, that's just kind of a cop out of talking about a movie that was a failure. Cause when I was watching this movie with the amount of like 10,000 extras, I'm thinking this movie looks like a huge pain in the neck to like wrangle all this. And it's funny that about those, you know, wide shots of all the extra scenes that you're mentioning songs. I I don't remember songs or getting any kind of musical aspect whatsoever. I just remember sitting there bored out of my mind, watching extras <laughs> walk around for like five minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yes, technically you have spectacle. Technically like this is impressive what I'm looking at, but you've got to give me something going on, you know, when you show me the spectacle. Cause like, when we see the 10 zillion extras in Braveheart, it's a battle scene and it's awesome. Right. And then with this scene, they're just walking around. And that's like, that's the spectacle of the movie, which, and I normally hate to say that anything doesn't age well, because I'm interested in every time period of film. And I don't care if it didn't age well, I'm interested in the period. But the idea of this being impressive spectacle, that doesn't age well, because it's not impressive anymore. It's just boring. <laughs> I think I only noticed the music because I, I generally like Dimitri Tiomkin and so it, it stuck out. But but I'm with you. Uh, the music was actually doing a lot of was doing all the work in those scenes because it was just watching fucking people walk around like they weren't <laughs> like there was nothing actually happening during these scenes. And that's that's why I go back to the it feels like they had almost had to pad it out to get to feature length runtime. Um, but can we also just take a moment? to acknowledge that one of the screenwriters on this movie was William fucking Faulkner. <laughs> what the actual fuck? Like, like I'm watching the credits and his name popped up and I'm like, that's gotta be some other William. And I looked it up and I'm like, Nope, it's him. What the fuck? <laughs> I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's pairing recommendation, but one movie I thought about knowing that was a maximum overdrive where you get like this great writer who writes a movie and like, this oh. is the script. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is really interesting. Now I haven't, um, I haven't read any Faulkner. Of course I know who he is and I've seen some of his other movies that he he's written, but this is th this whole thing. And, and I don't think the other writer was Harry Kernitz. Um, and yeah, I've, I guess he did a Thin Man movie, he did Hatari, and then Harold Jack Bloom, The Naked Spur. That's a great fucking movie. But um, this seems like, so looking at all three of their filmographies and then Hawk's filmography, this is like such an outlier, right? It's so weird that they all, like, one, that these guys wrote this movie a movie that they typically like a type of story they didn't typically tackle. And then two that Hawks directed this for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a contract thing and the studio made him do it or whatever the deal was. Um, just, that's just another layer sort of, of the weirdness 
of this movie and and maybe that's that's part of why it feels so you know just other i don't want to say otherworldly but like cinematically speaking there's something off about it well Um, and i think that's why faulkner got involved because he and hawks worked together quite a bit they had co-written or they had worked on several movies prior to this um and so i'm wondering i couldn't find anything researching it but i'm wondering if this was one of those times where hawks comes aboard and he's like oh this script is shit and he calls up you know bill i need you to come and do do a rewrite on this or something like that like that's pure speculation on my part but right it, it 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 is especially Faulkner because Faulkner of like those early twentieth century American authors he's by far and away my favorite one and this is so outside of his wheelhouse like you said Anthony in terms of of just even the prose is so turgid which is not what I would not how I would describe Faulkner's writing his writing is flowery but it's not turgid you know it's very sharp and to the point so um. Yeah, weird. Just again, that's I'm going to say weird 57 times in this episode. I apologize. Same. No, yeah, same. they had two movies that they worked on before this together were The Big Sleep and Have and Have Not, which are completely different genres. So I think this is just not their thing. You know, like they tried something completely outside of their wheelhouse and it's not what they do best. It's not what they're interested in. And it didn't work out. Well, OK, so let's talk about the cast real quick, uh, who I don't feel like anybody well okay i i I will say this i wish we had spent more time with um let's see let's get their names not hamar see senta is the young one and vashtar vashtar and his son senta i thought they were a little more interesting than jack hawkins character of the pharaoh and joan collins and i we spend most of our time with these two characters who are like Khufu is the biggest bitch. Like he, you know, he, we're introduced to him. He's, he's come from some big battle. We don't get to see the battle for God forbid. We see some excitement in this movie. He comes from the excitement into this boring sludge. Um, (laughs) and, and like everybody talks him up, he talks himself up. And then like when, um, you know, he, he wants to impress, the ladies and so he fights a bull but it's not really him it's like a bunch of dudes fight the bull and then he's like oh look what i did you didn't do shit um so I, like almost immediately i can't stand this this character and jack hawkins is so stiff in this movie i feel like and then joan collins comes in and you know like i was saying earlier she's kind of sexy and sultry and like oh this could be interesting but then she's just a gigantic bitch and like, I don't want to spend any more time with her yet. Here we are spending most of the movie with these people. And so the, the few times we get, you know, I think the, the, the best scene of the movie is when Senta calls his dad out and says, I know you're going blind. How can we make this work? Like, let me be your assistant. Let me help you out. Cause I don't, you know, we don't want to get you in trouble or have you killed or anything. I think that's the best scene of the movie which says a lot about this movie. Um, and so I, I would rather spend more time with them because I found them to be one more sympathetic and two, a little more interesting. Um, so I, I didn't know how other people felt about these characters. Do you, you know, am I wrong in thinking like 
I wish I didn't have to spend more time with the bitch and the, the male bitch. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. Um, so I, I thought it was weird that, so when we, we introduced the architect, he has a little boy, he has a son, I'll never get the names right. So the architect, right. um, and then some time passes pretty quickly. And now the son is a man and he's this handsome buff guy. And I'm like, okay, this is our lead. This is our leading man. I get it. No, he's really not. This movie doesn't have a lead. There's no entry point into this story. There's no main character. Um, and I really think like better movie if that guy, I mean, that guy's not a great actor. He's not bursting with charisma, but he should be our leading man um, when he saves the Pharaoh's life, which is, which I think is a pretty good scene. Um, and then his one thing he asks for is for this slave girl to be spared and given to him. I'm like, okay, now we've got a romance. This is his love interest. I, I mean, technically, but we don't see any of that. None of that happens on screen. Yeah, there's there's like one scene, right, where they're like, oh, well, I guess that's 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 their romance. They get one scene. Yeah, and then it's over, and then we move on to something else. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is such a sexless sort of movie, and I understand the time period we're in, and not allowed to see uh such things uh but i mean we're introduced to joan collins and like she's 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 wearing this really sexy getup um and i'm not saying like oh what a tease but you know i i don't know it they're just the whole the whole movie just sort of leads you on to believe you're gonna get something different or something more um are either of you a fan? And I haven't seen a bunch of Jack Hawkins movies, um, but uh, he felt so, so completely wrong for this role. Oh, yeah. I mean, when I clicked on him on Letterboxd, I saw I have seen movies with him, but I don't remember him in any of those movies. And I understand why I I just think he looks ridiculous in his costumes. He's this stuffy British guy who looks like he should be in a suit and he's wearing these Egyptian costumes and he looks idiotic. <laughs> He's very boring. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it is, you know, because there's also they've got when you've got Vashta and Senta, there's also their buddy Hackett looking friend who uh, who is uh, <laughs> played by Jack Hader, you know, who is. But he's like comic. He's this weird comic relief. Right? right. Who only shows up every 20 minutes for 30 seconds to do something funny. So it doesn't even really work as comic relief because it's. It, it, there's not enough of it. Um, I think for me, I, I think I liked Joan Collins performance more than you, Anthony. Um, I, I thought she was pretty magnetic on the screen, um, especially next to Jack Hawkins. I mean, she just well, kind yeah. of blows him away. The biggest thing I kind of thought with her story arc is I almost wonder if it is in fact a bit of, because it's the code. Um, she's, a bitch for the entire movie completely unsympathetic but like with no depth uh and, and then of course gets her come up it's at the end whereas not that i want to rewrite the movie but if they could have gone into more about how this is a, a scheming woman because she's not going to take no shit from no pharaoh and she's going to get what's coming to her you know i mean that the seeds of that are in there the seeds of a really great character and i think the right actress is playing that character um you know but i i, I don't know if their hands were tied because of the code or if it just isn't that good of a movie that they didn't even really want to go that way but it, it feels like there's a really interesting good movie in that storyline that we don't get we just get uh the bitch and the boar 
is really what oh, this yeah, movie could be called, right? Yeah. Like that's really what this should be called. Yeah, I uh, I'm a little more in the Anthony camp. I will always have affection for Joan Collins because she's Edith Keeler in City on the Edge of Forever, probably my favorite Star Trek episode of all time, and uh, and I also like her in Tales from the Crypt as well. Um, but I thought she was really bad in this movie. I mean, she still is one of the most entertaining things in the movie. I mean, partially because of how she looks, but also partially because she's just this vile character. And vile is more interesting than just boring. So, um, but I thought the performance was pretty bad. The makeup is really caked on and looks silly. Really, like, it's a quintessential Elizabeth Taylor character. And yeah. watching her, I was just thinking about Elizabeth Taylor and Cleopatra. And she just feels like dime store Elizabeth Taylor. That is exact. I was just about to say, Daniel, she's dollar store Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly <laughs> as I was watching it today. That was the phrase that popped into my mind. I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad we're we're like this on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, also the make. I mean, again, I'm not trying to judge this through 2023 eyes, but the the makeup in this i mean it's it's egypt face like it it really stood out to me on this one it it yeah. was really really uh it was it was bad even by 1950s sort of you know egypt face or mexican face uh standards i thought i thought this was really pretty egregious well well you, you know you you think of vincent price in the 10 commandments they don't do anything for him, like no sort of darkening makeup. The only one in, in the Ten Commandments that they sort of darken up, but and, and it looks more just like a spray tan is. um, uh Oh, fuck. What's his? Uh, ah, see, what the hell is his uh, name? Uh, Edward G. Robinson. Ed, yeah. Thank you. Ed, you know, it, but it looks like it just looks like a cheap spray tan for him here. Like you, they you know, they have the, the three dancers come out and like it's straight up like not even blackface it's black body right and like are we kidding come on folks but uh like <laughs> i so i used to do theater daniel i know you used to do theater too like and there's a there's a smell right to the to the green room to the you know to the makeup and everything right the hair powder like i'm watching land of the pharaohs and i can smell that like when when it when they age uh vashtar and like he's got the white hair, it's just it's so thick with the spray <laughs> shit, and yeah. like I can just smell it through my TV. It's but uh, like Roddy yeah. McDowell in Fright Night, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's like oh god, don't shit. Like if he shakes his head, we're gonna see like a fucking cloud of of powder come out. Um, yeah, well, I, and the 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 body part is is what's really bad right like like i mean it looks like they've got like painted on abs and i don't know if it's because they tried <laughs> to paint on abs or if it's just because the makeup was so caked on that as people were bending over they get you know natural creases and lines in the makeup but there's plenty of times where i'm just like it, like it looks like smeared paint like like it, it's yeah terrible sorry i didn't mean to cut you off anthony no no no, no. okay so um Going back to Joan Collins real quick. I don't want to shit all over Joan Collins. I, I think um, she plays a bitch really well. I feel like I but I, I still feel like she's she's a little stiff or stilted or stunt something. But let me read this uh, a quote from Danny here it says the, the picture has characters quite foreign to other Hawks films. The vain, greedy Nellifer 
Joan Collins, is the only true blue female villain in the entire Hawks collection, his only female without warmth or wit. It appears that Hawks disliked this character so much that, and this is going, and this is crazy because you didn't read the essay, Mike, so listen to this. Uh, it appears Hawks disliked this character so much that he didn't take the time to explore what was going inside uh, of her. A very underdeveloped role. And that, I think, is the hindrance to the to the Joan Collins character, Nellifer. Um, and, I, you know, I'm always on board with a bitch. Um, and, and you're exactly right. Next to That's Jack. That's the title Hunt. of your memoir. Yeah. <laughs> He's on board with a bitch and, and standing next to jet Jack Hawkins, like she is blowing him out of the water. Um, but it is like the character isn't fully realized. It's like Hawks was, or any of the three writers were uncomfortable with this sort of, um, character. And I don't want to call her a powerful character. Maybe she is a powerful character. I don't know. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, Angie Dickinson in in Rio Bravo like that's a different sort of powerful character a character that you love and you're happy to see her have power whereas the Joan Collins character in Land of the Pharaohs is like a woman uh, who is desperately grasping at for the power and like it's really palpable and sort of leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. Does that make sense to anybody? Yeah, but here's one thing. She's a quote unquote villain because she's trying to scheme and connive and take over the kingdom. But the current king, the Pharaoh, he's awful too. Oh, terrible like what person. he's doing yeah. is horrible. Like he, because of his vanity and his religious zealot craziness, he's forcing the whole kingdom and getting all these slaves to build this insane thing, this insane tomb just for him. So he's awful so like would joan collins be any worse than him i don't know i don't know that she would no i yeah i agree with you i i mean i think that's that's the the for me that's the problem of the movie is that um uh, i can't remember which one you said but like there isn't really a lead daniel i think you said there isn't really like you know our protagonist or antagonist like that one person we're following along um and i'm okay you know i think of a movie like um uh, henry portrait of a serial killer you know we're with like two ex you know henry and otis are just like the most despicable men but the movie isn't trying to make the viewer say like okay go along with these guys there's something good in here the movie knows those are awful fucking guys in this movie, in Land of the Pharaohs, yes, I'm comparing Land of the Pharaohs to Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Great double feature, by the way. Um, like, it's almost like we have to decide, okay, which of the, like, which turd is going <laughs> to polish up the best, right? And and I agree, like, if you think about it, uh, uh, Jack Hawkins' character, Khufu, is like the, I mean, that guy's a fucking monster. He's got thousands probably millions of slaves right doing his bidding um and making all these false promises you get three or two pieces of gold and five pieces of silver and you know uh when you come to the other side with me and like it, it's just he's a horrific horrific person and i'm like i don't like that guy and and then it's like but i don't like her either there's something so it's like i 
give me the blind architect. Let's spend more time with that guy. Yeah, it's um, it just I don't know. Like I said, there's you know to go back to your Henry comparison. There's an interiority to Henry and and Otis in that movie. There there's interior life that that John Dahl gives or not John Dahl, uh, John McNaughton, McNaughton gives them. Joan Collins, Nellifer has no interior life. There's we don't understand her motivations. We don't understand. I mean, is she just greedy? Is she you know because she's she's brought as tribute basically to uh, so that her her town or wherever kingdom doesn't have to pay taxes they literally offer her up in lieu of of paying taxes so she basically is getting you know prostituted out here so there's there's a lot there's a lot of subtext here that could make her a very interesting even if we want to go the sort of anti-hero uh route with her there's a lot of subtext that just it's just not developed. It's not developed even remotely at all um, because she goes from zero to 100 in terms of plotting her scheming and, and her right. revenge, like in no time, you know, she's just like immediately right into it. Yeah. And one problem with looking at her in that way is because the performance is bad, in my opinion, at least she seems dumb. Like when when she thinks that she's taken over the kingdom and she's just like, I'm the queen. So you have to show me where the gold is. Like, she just seems like an idiot. And that's that's almost the biggest reason that I'm like, oh, she can't take over the kingdom because she's a moron. <laughs> like, not even that she's more evil than the Pharaoh, because I don't know that she is, quite honestly. <laughs> she, Yeah, she she would, you know, she's like uh, she would do whatever uh you know, she'd flip flop, be good or evil just to, you know, be able to have the spotlight on her. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And yeah. It, that is sort of a weird flop or flip flop with the with her character. She comes in and, you know, she she's she's kind of this powerful woman and, you know, slaps the wine away and like refuses uh, Khufu's advances and you're like, okay, this like, she, she's strong. She's going to be able to, you know, hold her ground. And then, you know, she becomes his second wife or his ninth wife, whatever number wife, and starts having an affair with a guard. And that, like, the, I, I guess that one is explored a little more because they do kill the kill Khufu, um, or try to kill Khufu. Um, fuck, I forgot where I was going with this, but she, but then by the end, when she's under, you know, she's, she's now the, the queen, she's the new Pharaoh, she's in the tomb and, uh, they say, okay, you know, Barry, what, what's the, what's the, the right Dewey Martin's, no, it's, uh, Alex Minotis, Hamar, Hamar's like, okay, hit it. And like, you know, everything, the sand starts coming in and she's like, what's going on? She turns into, like you're saying, Daniel, this idiot where like, this is not the character we were introduced to. So it that doesn't really make sense. And I'm not trying to overanalyze fucking land of the pharaohs. There's no point. There's no need to do that. But it's just interesting. Like, I liked the earlier uh, Nelifer. Uh, I liked the early Nelifer compared to this 
idiot, like this bumbling fool at the end who doesn't know what to do. Like, you know, I'm surprised she can put one foot in front of the other for God's sakes. She needs her hand held for everything. It's like, that's not who we met at the beginning of the movie. Okay. So I have a question. Are the slaves in this movie, are they supposed to be the Israelites like from Exodus? Um, And if so, is this movie suggesting that the pyramids were actually designed by an Israelite, which is a bold claim. And then when they exit, they're having this mass exodus out of Egypt. I'm like, it's like, it's like 10 commandments, but there's no Moses. And it's so weird. It's like, it's such an ignoring of at least, you know, biblical commonly known history. We don't really know the history of that time period, but it's just like, I don't know, like the lack thereof of, of history or anything that we know. It's so odd. It, it just ends up confusing. I feel like. I thought they were Egyptians. Are they? They're just other Egyptians. I, but I, I don't know. It is interesting that this is like, it's the fifties. It seems to be 10 commandments period and stuff, but there's a total ignoring of anything in the Bible, which I'm not complaining about. I just think it's interesting that they went that way. Land of the Pharaohs is not biblical factually <laughs> biblical enough for me i just look at it and i'm like it looks like 10 commandments but it's and there are slaves which is exactly like in that but then it has none of the other stuff i don't know it's weird yeah i think khufu i'm just pulling up the wikipedia because i'm certainly not a uh a expert on ancient egypt but i i believe he would have been uh like a thousand years before the israelites would have been there but oh. I, I i could okay. be wrong. So, yeah, um, I believe, I don't know, but that's, that seems to me that that's what it looks like, but, uh, I guess I could easily see, cause we know, so Khufu was, uh, this is good podcast content right here. See, this <laughs> is my problem. I was brought up in a Christian household and the only ancient, ancient Egyptian history Same. I know comes out of the Bible. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's why I like the Ten Commandments so much. And now I realize the Ten Commandments, the movie. It's just, it's it's just a movie. It's not like I base my life on on this is you know what happened in history. I don't fucking know what happened back so, then. I wasn't alive. So yeah, we're 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 about fourteen hundred years before Ramses the second. Okay. Oh shit. So so we're 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 well before uh israelites and 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 any of that is relevant so yeah there we go this cool. this this is like that. this is like uh the day before god rested this is like day six right <laughs> of the creation story um is that how this works i don't know it's facts it's it's factual history um what's interesting and i realize cecil uh, b demille remade his movie right the ten commandments um, but the the remake that we all know with Charlton Heston comes out two years, or I guess one year after Land of the Pharaohs. So, uh, what's here's the disappointing thing. I think the story behind how, why, what, all that behind Land of the Pharaohs would be far more interesting than the actual movie. Um, and what was going on in Hollywood at the time, because it kind of seems like maybe there was some sort of a race to uh, which of these movies can can come out first or if because I 
I think the Ten Commandments was like a very, very long production. Um, I have to imagine it would be. And you would think Land of the Fairs would be a long production with all these fucking thousands of extras. Um, Because we're not, these are not like CGI, it's not CGI crowd, right? Like these are thousands and thousands of people. um, And the scope of it all is interesting and i'm not saying every single bit of this movie is is boring or uninteresting there are some interesting things but i want to know because like you daniel i was watching land of the pharaohs even for the second time and still kind of getting it mixed up with the ten commandments um so i you know i it's of course the story behind this is going to and and I assume on the Warner Archive Blu-ray, it's probably bare bones, so you don't get any sort of history about this, which is unfortunate because I, I, I would be very curious. I should get the Blu-ray just to watch that bad makeup in 1080p. <laughs> I'm sure it looks extra good then. <laughs> oh boy, maybe you can actually see it like floating in the air, all the all the makeup <laughs> particles. Um, okay, Mike, final thoughts on Land of the Pharaohs. Um, I mean, I don't regret watching it. Like, like it, it's not, you know, it's not the, the, by f- I'm glad I saw it. I, I think it's fascinating. Um, I never need to see it again. It, it'll get memory hold and, and I will just kind of forget about it. But, um, I, there, you know, there was enough in there that it was worth, talking about i just i just wish it hadn't been so damn i i hate this as a criticism uh but i just wish it hadn't been so damn boring i mean that that really is it just there's a lot there that could have been engaging that just completely failed to engage um and that's a big friggin bummer but it is what it is yeah uh daniel final thoughts on land of the pharaohs yeah, this may be shocking because I don't think I said a, like a single positive thing on this podcast, but I didn't hate watching this movie. I hated watching the scenes of extras walking around endlessly, but <laughs> I thought there were like a fair amount of fairly entertaining scenes. It's just every time there was an entertaining scene, I thought the movie was going in kind of a cool direction. It didn't do that and it abandoned it. Um, and and I just I like this time period of film. I like the sets and the costumes and there's a sword fight. I always love to see a sword fight in movies. Um, so I'm, I'm like, Mike, I don't regret watching it either. Um, I was probably going to watch it at some point anyway, because it's this big, crazy Howard Hawks production. And I knew at some point I was going to watch that. That's why I jumped on this podcast. Cause I, I wanted to see this movie anyway. Um, so like I found most of it pretty watchable, but it's definitely a bad movie. Yeah. Um, I, I also didn't hate this movie. It is, uh, quite uninteresting it's very unmemorable um very i guess you could say forgettable is the actual word i should be using um but i still gave it a heart on letterboxd it's a two and a half star with a heart for me uh there was enough the ending is fucking awesome like how they make that pyramid work like that let's spend more time there like i want to see the inner workings of that when they show it's like the coolest rube goldberg machine right when they kick it into motion it's fucking awesome that's pretty cool that might be that might be my favorite scene is that ending shot but we but it's like 30 seconds you kidding me come on we have to spend more time with fucking jack hawkins um so this is not my least favorite 
in book one, that falls to Reefer Madness. Uh, I do have a question. Do you prefer this or Tarzan and his mate? Oh, fuck me. God damn it. Sophie's choice here, but like, like I cannot believe this is a hard decision. Which which one do I hate the most? Um, (laughs) I I pick this over Tarzan. What on earth? You are out of your mind. (laughs) Yeah, I pick this over Tarzan. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, this is like, uh, you know, let's see. Okay, real quick. Here's what's worse, in my opinion, than Land of the Pharaohs. Reefer Madness. Bedtime for Bonzo. Shocker. Um, Little Shop of Horrors. Plan 9 from Outer Space. Although maybe I'll change next week when I talk about it. Sylvia Scarlet, please. Tarzan. Ooh, that's crazy. Um, Yeah. I mean, Tarzan is like right behind Land of the Pharaohs. But Sylvia Scarlet also, I, I would definitely put ahead of this movie. Really? Oh, God. Yeah. It's not great, but it's better than this, I think. Huh. <sighs> You should have come on to talk about that one. I wasn't asked. I think, is that the one that it was just me and Kristen that had to talk about it? We got stuck with that. <sighs> that That is Catherine Hepburn dresses up as a man movie, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, <laughs> Anthony's just completely dejected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, she's kind of hot as a man too, uh, which is, that well, was sure. Sort, it's Catherine Hepburn. That was, it's like when Marley and Diedrich wears a tux. Well, she, come on. She's sexy all the time. Uh, not Catherine Hepburn, though. <laughs> oh, that's right. You don't like Catherine Hepburn. Oh, that kind of explains it. Because I, I love Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, no, so I do not. Much easier for me to watch that movie. You know, I apologize to our listeners because I this this season has been full of uh, several movies that I do not like. That's just the nature of the beast of this podcast. That's how we run things. Uh, I have to talk about these things. Otherwise, the world will end. And even if it's a movie I don't like. so It is kind um, of fun to talk about bad movies sometimes. I know some people say we should just focus on what we like, be positive. But it's kind of fun to talk about bad movies. It is. Some- and I, th- I thought this was a good conversation. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, sometimes it's okay to hate things. Like, for instance, Anthony destroyed me in my soul on the Discord today when he called Armageddon objectively a bad movie. (laughs) But that's okay. That's Anthony's right. He can do that. And it's okay to hate movies. There's nothing wrong. Like, like at some point, we have crossed over into toxic positivity where all we can talk about is good stuff and and things like that. Um, There's a great article going around about that, about influencers. So they just post happy things about movies and then they get free stuff yep yep and and there is value in especially with classic cinema because so often i know this is the case for me at least and i think it's probably the case for a lot of people is when you talk about how you like classic cinema like i do it's because i'm fucking cherry picking the good movies and so and so there's a good there is value in watching like in realizing that like there was still shit being made in the 50s. There was shit being made in the 40s and the 30s. And 90% of the stuff that gets made is mediocre to shitty. Uh, and to remind yourself of that and, and that what happens is the good stuff lasts. Land of the Pharaohs is there's a reason Daniel being a big Howard Hawks fan hasn't seen Land of the Pharaohs. Because it doesn't last. It's not a good movie, so it didn't last. you know. But there's value in going back and watching that and going... Okay, 
I can see why this, you know, was such a failure that he took four years off and then came back with Rio Bravo. Like, you know, like, like there's context there. That's interesting. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I I'll just throw this out there, Anthony, you never have to get stuck on a movie again. If you ever need, like, I will jump in and watch the shittiest goddamn movie imaginable uh, (laughs) because there's always value in it. You know, I agree. And like, even if it's a movie that, you know, this is the whole reason I started this podcast wasn't to talk about movies. It wasn't to go through Danny Perry's books. It was just to meet people and hang out, you know, for an hour or two once a week. And honest to God, like, that's the only reason I want to do this. Like, I get to hang out with two of my best friends that I've ever met on the like, this is insane to me on the Internet. Right. Like none of us live near each other yet. Here we are. Like we talk to each other almost every single day. We check in on each other's lives. Uh, Like for me, that's what this is all about. Uh, All the all the movie stuff and and Danny Perry, as much as I love Danny and his writing, that's all, you know, secondary and tertiary to to what I just want to hang out with people. That's 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 all I wanted to do when I started this. So. Uh, and I appreciate like all the relationships, all the people that I've met because of this. And yeah, sometimes we're going to talk about a great movie and sometimes we're going to talk about land of the Pharaohs. That's just the way it goes. You're like, I want to hang out with people, but my price is I have to rewatch land of the Pharaohs. <laughs> Otherwise I don't get to <laughs> talk to anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah. I asked my wife if she wanted to watch it with me last night. She said, Oh, what's it about? And I told her and she's like, uh, I'm just going to go to bed. I was like, but it's nine o'clock. She would have rather gone to bed than watch a movie with her husband. That movie was Land of the Pharaohs, so I don't blame her. Um, okay, let's move on here. Um, so I, you know, I will say I think it's interesting. I, I would not steer people away from Land of the Pharaohs. It's an oddity in Howard Hawks' filmography, and for that. It's it's kind of interesting to see. It's like, what the fuck? What's going on here? So, watch Land of Pharaohs. Don't. I don't give a shit. I'm not your mom. Let's get into pairings, fellas. <laughs> Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, I I could be not your mom. I could be your dad. Who knows? I've sowed a lot of wild oats, gentlemen. I haven't. I I can't talk myself <laughs> up. Anthony's had so much sex. Like four times in my life. <laughs> Two of them, you got somebody pregnant. So that's pretty impressive. That's that's quite the batting average. Uh, yeah. I mean, I uh, never mind. We'll move on. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, I say this a lot, but this time I'm serious, like dead serious. I had the hardest fucking time trying to figure out what am I going to pair with this goddamn movie um, and not to step on any, you know, we've talked about it a lot. If somebody picked the 10 commandments, perfect. I think that's a great pairing recommendation. Um, cause I, I like that movie. It's fun. It's very long. Uh, but like, that's the only one I could think of. I didn't pick it, uh, in case somebody else did. Um, but this was really hard for me. So I, I am very curious to see where we're going with this. Let's start with you, Daniel. Let's hear your first one. Okay, so I definitely did not choose Ten Commandments because my thinking was, after watching Land of the Pharaohs, I would want something dramatically different. I don't want something that feels at all close to this. Um, So my pairings are loose, and I didn't try too hard. I just kind of went with feelings. Um, So my first pairing is Ty West, The Sacrament from 2013. (laughs) 
You guys ready? Watch it. We've been to some of the most chaotic, war-torn places in the world, but never for something as bizarre as this. Here we are. Welcome to Eden Parish. You guys built all this? Father had a vision, and we built heaven here on Earth. Who is Father? He's the guy that started all of this. Can we speak with him at some point? He agreed to sit for an interview tonight at the gathering. It's been pretty amazing. Everyone we've talked to seems to feel that this is everything they ever wanted, and they all credit you for that. Oh, I don't deserve the credit. You come down here, and I'll give you a place to live. I'll give you a job. I'll give you a bed. These people are my family, my children. And when you write this up, just know that you're dealing with their lives. Aren't those the guides? What are they doing with guns? You don't know what's really going on here. This place is not what it seems. Hey, what's happening? These people want to leave. They have their suitcases packed. I have no idea what to do. Sam, do not get involved in this. Please take my daughter. What? We can't let them go back to New York. No, this is the last sacrament. Hey! Hey! How many more people can fit in this thing? I want you to film this. It's important. It's funny. Take it. Take it. Take it. And my connection is two movies that involve a leader who is a crazy, terrible person, religious zealot who gets their followers to do to ruin their lives in the case of in land of the Pharaohs is to dedicate their whole lives to this manual labor, building, building this insane thing in terms of the sacrament. If people don't know, by the way, it's a found footage um, kind of mockumentary independent horror film that basically recreates the events of Jonestown, but changes some names. So in that case, actually getting people to kill themselves over his insane religious beliefs. So it's two movies about a horrible leader who do horrible things to their followers, but it, for me, it would be a breath of fresh air after Land of the Pharaohs because it's the complete opposite movie. Uh, th this was a backup for me. I fucking are love, you serious? Yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, I love this, and I, it didn't occur to me till last night rewatching Land of the Pharaohs, where like his sort of cult, like like he Khufu thinks of himself as I mean he refers to himself as a god, so like it 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 only makes sense and uh oh god i love love the sacrament it's so good mike are you a fan as much as i can be a fan of ty west movies ty west and i are not on the except for in the valley of violence which i fucking love with my whole heart but that's heck yeah that's ethan hawk i did it, it's a different it's a whole different scale there's there's like Ethan Hawke movies I like and Ethan Hawke movies I love and nothing else like, uh, you know, so that that doesn't. Um, but I like it. I like it fine. I, it's good. It's it's good. It, it hits the spot. Um, I like it better than both uh, than his two previous movies. It was it was when I first started to come around on him, um, mostly because I just thought he did such a good job in it of capturing that sort of vice dick smackery 
uh from our from our main characters um you know uh, and so yeah and i can totally understand why you would pair it with this i think it would be i think it would be awesome at like you know if you started this at like 10 at night and so you hit midnight and the sacrament comes on i think that would be awesome <laughs> yeah and i'm a, i'm a huge ty west fan and this is actually one of my least favorite of his movies but i still think it's great um just because most ty west films are very fun for me to watch very comforting for me to watch and this one's very disturbing i would say it's the most disturbing out of his movies um so but i i still think it's a pretty great movie this was the first ty west movie i saw and then I went back and watched The House of the Devil, and I hated The House of the Devil when I first saw it. And then I watched The Innkeepers, and I was like, ah, oh, so boring, so slow, yuck, not my favorite. I was like, what's like? I love The Sacrament. Why can't he make other movies like this? Uh, but then both House of the Devil and The Innkeepers have grown to be like two of my all-time favorites. Um, same with The Sacrament. Er, uh, the Sacrament. Um, I haven't seen Pearl. I liked X the first time I saw it, and then I loved X the second time I saw it. Um, maybe because my wife and I watched it when we were in a cabin in the middle of the woods, fucking pitch black oh, outside. That's awesome. It was so scary. So sc- she like she would not let go of me all night long. It was <laughs> that, that was that was a great way to watch X. Um, but I haven't seen In the Valley of Violence, believe it or not, and. I don't know why, but I sure need to. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of that one, too. Mike, I think you're muted. Yeah, great modern Western. And it's got it's got Travolta like actually being good Travolta. And and then he squares off with Ethan Hawke and it just it just rules. I I fucking love that movie. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm a big Ty West fan and and I, I love it, Daniel. We were on the same wavelength. That's crazy. Uh, I never would have guessed there'd be crossover there. That's cool. Okay, good deal. Good deal. All right, Mike, let's go to you and hear your first one. So my my two movies are going to be about as far apart on the spectrum as you can possibly get. <laughs> good. Uh, so for my first one, it's funny that, that the Ten Commandments kept coming up because I did not pick the Ten Commandments because I'm actually not the biggest Ten Commandments fan. Uh, I'm not the biggest Charlton Heston fan. Uh, what I am a fan of, however, is the uh, hold on. I just want to get the year is the uh, the 1998 DreamWorks animated movie, The Prince of Egypt from DreamWorks Pictures. <laughs> he was raised by royalty. Prince Moses. But the truth of his past. You are not a prince of Egypt. I can't stay here any longer. Will give him the power to change the future. Experience the one story that will live forever. The Prince of Egypt starts Friday, December 18th. (laughs) Fucking love this movie. Uh, And I kept thinking about it the whole time I was watching Land of the Pharaohs, because, again, you know, obviously they both take place in Egypt. You've got you've got evil pharaohs and, and there's romance and stuff. But the. The talking about how the the music in Land of the Pharaohs was doing so much work. The music in Prince of Egypt is some of the best, in my opinion, music in an animated movie, basically of all time. It's it's the soundtrack is just absolutely unreal. Um, I mean, it's the only movie that got Mariah and Whitney to work together. Oh my and God. it was exactly as big of a nightmare for them both as you would expect. <laughs> uh, but uh, nonetheless, 
I think this would be an interesting, you know, because we've got the 50s. It's a little adult, but it's still the 50s. And we're going to go right into a, a PG rated kids movie um, and uh, and go from there. But you got Val Kilmer playing Moses. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, so, yeah, this is this would be my first pick. I have never seen The Prince of Egypt. I know the music really well, but I've never seen this. Uh, so this is fantastic. Streaming on Peacock, by the way, so I have no excuses not to watch it. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I admit I haven't seen The Ten Commandments since I was a kid, but I don't really have any desire to go back to it. And, you know, I was raised in a Christian household, a fair amount of, of religious baggage. N 99 times out of 100, I don't want to watch anything biblical. But this movie holds up even as an adult. I still think it's a great movie, does great with the story. And the cast is insane. Like, yeah, you got Val Kilmer, but you got Jeff Goldblum and Sandra Bullock. And um, who's the actor who plays Ramses? He's so good. Ray, Ray Fiennes. Fiennes. That's right. Ray Fiennes. And, and Michelle amazing. Pfeiffer. Like, yeah, the cast, yeah, the cast is crazy. And there is Anthony. There's I don't want to oversell it, but there is a, a montage, a song during the the plagues they basically do the plagues as a montage except for the the death of the firstborn okay and the the backing music it's this chant where they're basically it's this just hard driving beat and they're like i send you pestilence and plague." it, it is horrifying for like an animated movie like it's that good old-fashioned disney like what the fuck is this scene doing in an animated kids movie <laughs> um so yeah it's 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 a great great animated movie i fucking and i you guys know i'm not religious at all i didn't grow up in no christian household no nothing so like it's pretty weird for me to really like a biblical movie and i really fucking love prince of egypt Kids today are wimps. Now there's all this talk about if Barbie is appropriate for kids. And I'm like, man, we were watching Prince of Egypt when I was a kid. Kids were dying what? in that movie. Are you serious? <laughs> I mean, for God's sakes. It's I just, so dumb. It's I so just, dumb. I just, my 10-year-old and I just watched City of the Living Dead for the first, his his first Fulci. Loved seeing that picture, by the way. That's awesome. awesome. Whoops. Uh, my did, five... he make it, did he make it through that whole movie? Oh, yeah. Spent a lot of time okay. under the blanket, but yeah, he, he made it. I mean, my <laughs> five-year-old cool. has seen nightmare on elm street so, nice that's the way to um, do it okay here's this is interesting the prince of egypt was one of the first two dreamworks animation movies with ants i remember seeing ants in the theater um but didn't see this so and this is you know what shrek comes out three years later this is three years before shrek so this and ants kick off dreamworks animation which is which is you know one of the biggest animation studios now so that's kind of cool. Um, all right. Oh, fuck it. I'll go kids movie too. Why not? Uh, I just watched The Emperor's New Groove for the first time. Now in theaters. Boom, baby! This holiday season, there's one thing families agree on. <laughs> the Emperor's New Groove is one of the funniest <laughs> films of the year. Yeah, doy. It's Disney at its best. <laughs> the grooviest animated trip since Aladdin. No, 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 no. This holiday season's must-see gets two thumbs up. Yeah! For perfect family fun, there's no argument. Yeah, 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 the Emperor's yeah, New Groove, rated G, now playing. Yeah, yeah, so that's what I'm going with. Nice. Uh, I've you know I've known the the memes for many many years, so it's kind of cool watching the movie be like, oh shit, you know uh, the. Cus oh yeah, it's all coming together. Yeah, it's it's all coming together. <laughs> Cusco's poison, you know, the poison for Cusco's. Oh, it was, it was awesome. I loved watching it. Um, 
All right, so this is 2000 from director Mark Dindle, stars David Spade as the pharaoh or the emperor, uh, John Goodman as like a, a villager that David Spade is, he's planning this, this like Cusco land or whatever the fuck it's called. Like this, he's going to build like some big resort place for himself in the village where John Goodman and uh, Wendy... Wendy, what the fuck is her name? Wendy uh, Malik is his wife. Um, and and then Eartha Kitt is sort of like the sorceress uh, in Cusco's court. And then Patrick Warburton plays Eartha Kitt's sort of like henchman. And so I didn't Eartha, know that was Eartha Kitt. That's that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, it kind of kind of looks like Eartha Kitt, too. <laughs> Exaggerate like a caricature, but sure. Um, sure. Uh, so Eartha Kitt puts a spell on David Spade, turns him into a llama. And so it's it's all about John Goodman and David Spade trying to work together, get back, turn him back into a pharaoh. And, you know, lessons are learned. It's a it's a sweet movie. I'm trying to work my way through all the uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios movies. And so th- this was a good opportunity to finally check this one off. Um, so. Monsters Inc. is my favorite uh, Disney movie, uh, Walt Disney Animation Studios movie. This is my second now. Like, you know, this doesn't have. I th- the reason I love Monsters Inc. so much is that it it doesn't have. You know, it it's sweet, but it's not saccharine, and it's fucking his like laugh out loud hysterical. Uh, like there's almost no like touching part in the emperor's new groove that I let that like moved me. It was just all laughs, yeah. which I love. And that's why I don't really like Pixar movies because I feel like they're exploiting those feelings. Well, monsters Inc is Pixar. Monsters Inc is Pixar. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. fucking a. Okay. never mind. Well then monsters Inc is my favorite Pixar movie. And I guess the emperor's new groove is my favorite Walt Disney animation studios movie. Um, so it's, it's just, it's fucking hysterical. Same as you guys, like after we have to slog through fucking land of the pharaohs, we need something good, something to laugh at. And so you throw on the emperor's new groove or the sacrament or the prince of Egypt, for God's sakes, anything is either of those. That's a great choice. So um, are you guys fans, emperor's new groove? Yeah, I was just the right age to grow up with this movie, but I weirdly didn't. I came to it as an adult a few years ago, and I just thought it was hilarious. Just such a funny comedy. Yeah. Yeah, I I love it. It's to me, and I mean this is the highest possible compliment. It's the closest Disney ever got to matching Looney Tunes in terms of just sheer like jokes, laughs per minute zaniness. Um, Because, I, you know, I love Disney, but when it just comes to flat out funny, Warner Brothers Looney Tunes always I thought had it over Disney uh, yeah, amen. and 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 Emperor's New Groove really it, it is Disney's Looney Tunes movie and and it nails the jokes the jokes are fucking hilarious I mean my wife and I still like one of our frequent things and I we say it so much we forget it's from Emperor's New Groove is we'll be like no touchy no touchy no touchy, no touchy. Um, you know it just all the time we say that in the house so yeah no it's a great movie I love it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, this came out when I was, like, I had graduated high school when this came out. So I was like, oh, Disney? No, thank you. 
Uh, so, you know, now I'm 41 and I'm like, Disney, thank you. Um, so it's super fun. And this, this is, this will be one like I could put on any time cause it's, it's that fucking funny. All right, Daniel, we're back to you. Number two. So I'm a classic horror guy. So I knew I'm going to have to program a mummy movie, uh, cause we're dealing with Egypt and like Anthony, I thought, you know what, let's go goofy. So I picked actually from the same year, 1955, Abbott and Costello meet oh. the mummy. Where will we find the mummy? Don't worry, the mummy will find you. You'll howl as you follow Bud and Lou in a strange land where exotic dancers perform ancient rituals. You'll scream at this mystic world of mad magic and uproarious adventure. Does this mean anything to you? It means death to whoever holds it. Starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, with sultry Marie Windsor giving you your first look inside Costello. Turn off the lights. Let's stop fooling and cut them open. And Peggy King, George Goebel's TV girlfriend. You flew in from the Middle West and certainly impressed the population hereabouts. Imagine Lou trying to be charming to a snake. And Bud at the end of his rope. Stop blowing! Your nerves will jangle as they tangle with terror, meddle with murder, ah! and try to elude a curse 4,000 years old. Which is also not a great movie, much like Land of the Pharaohs, but it's just, but it's funny, it's fun. Um, I, I mean, I watched this last spooky season and I still can't tell you very much about it. It's just Abin Costello goofing off. Um, and uh, and there's a mummy running around. I actually think the mummy looks pretty cool. I remember him. He looks a little different than in the other Universal Monsters movies. Got a little bit more of a monstrous face, which is fun. And one thing I remember about this movie is Abin Costello are credited in the credits of having character names. But they literally just call each other Abbott and Costello throughout the whole movie. Like, they don't even bother. Um, but it, it's a good time. And after Land of the Pharaohs, kick back, watch these guys goof off with a mummy running around in Egypt. Uh, so we're we're on our way to including all the Abbott and Costello meet the movies because uh, I can't even remember what I paired it with, but I paired Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man with something a few seasons ago. So that I haven't seen meet the mummy. I've seen meet Frankenstein. Of course, that's the big one, but, um, fun. Yeah. Again, we need laughs, right? We need laughs or scares something. We need some sort of reaction after land of the Pharaohs. Um, I'm a huge, Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Um, they might be my favorite kind of classic comedy duo. Yeah, I'd probably say me too. They're fantastic. Yeah. Are you a Abbott and Costello fan, Mike? Yeah, but I have not seen this movie. Um, so I, I actually haven't seen any of their movies. I've only seen like their, I, I know they're like 
stand-up bits basically right. uh but but i've never actually watched any of the abbott and costello meet the movies i own them all because i've got that big universal horror set that they're all like special features on but yeah i've never seen any of them uh, daniel is daniel is about to pass out uh he, he, i just like, can't <laughs> believe that a movie fan like you who i literally thought had seen every movie ever made um has not seen abbott and costello meet frankenstein dude no, oh halloween not. halloween you gotta watch it this year man okay i'll i'll make it happen it's yeah that one is funny and like it for me like it's hard to uh elicit uh actual like laugh out loud moments where i'm laughing out loud while watching a movie um uh, with older comedies i might chuckle to myself i realize when something's funny but i'm you know never like <laughs> i did that with meet frankenstein so there's yeah, there's it's, it's super fucking funny so yeah, good uh, good recommendation, Daniel. All right, Mike, let's hear your second one. So like I said, about as far uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum from the child animated Prince of Egypt, I am picking for my second movie, the 1978 Quentin Masters directed Joan Collins starring The Stud. <laughs> Not many young men have to work as hard as Tony. Yeah. I'll be around in 10 minutes. But then not many bosses are like Fontaine. What's going on? It's an emergency. He knows how to get what he wants. And what he wants is to be his own man. You handsome. Tony is the perfect host. He's doing them all a big favor and loving every minute of it. You can't leave them alone for a moment, can you? That's my job. Oh, now come and do your job with me. Joan Collins, Oliver Tobias, The Stud. I'd like to open a new club. What's wrong with this one? Nothing. Except it's neither yours nor mine. Maybe if I could have had kids. Who's the princess then? Benjamin Collins, daughter, I want you to believe. All right, Warren Beatty, <laughs> you stick to your hobby. Look at that. Ain't life beautiful, man? The stud. What would you like to do? Perhaps you could take me home. What, now you just got here? Do you think I don't know about you and that cheap slut who owns you? I'm not alone. The original soundtrack music of The Stud, available on Ronco Records, featuring top international recording stars 10CC, Smokey, Baccarat, Sweet, Rolls Royce, Roxy Music, Leo Sayre, Hot Chocolate, The Real Thing, Tina Charles, including her sensational new single, Fire Down Below. Disappointed in your performance too, or rather the lack of it. All right, all right, so I'm dismissed. How do I get back home? I'm finished with you. Free at last. Good luck and God bless you. 
based on a novel from her sister Jackie. Uh, that is her sister's of... Jackie Collins. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Jackie's her sister. Um. So this is one of the like, just kind of. It's not. It's sleazy, but not. It's like quaintly sweet sleazy. But uh, Joan Collins plays uh, this woman named Fontaine Khaled, who's married to this this <laughs> Arabic businessman. In this loveless marriage, he keeps her kept. Uh, she owns a nightclub, and she has basically taken this waiter under her wing to be her little boy toy and has promoted him to manager of the nightclub. And that's the stud. His name's Tony. And that's basically what he does at the nightclub is he fucks women uh, to keep them coming back to the nightclub. He's like, he's like all these women and all these loveless marriages, but he's always on call to Joan Collins, has to drop everything whenever she wants to get laid. And then he ends up falling in love with Joan Collins's stepdaughter uh, it's a whole big thing. Uh, it's very sleazy. There's a lot of boobs. Um, there's a there's an orgy in the middle of it. But Excellent. what what really makes it is this is that role that I wish Joan Collins had had in Land of the Pharaohs. She is an unrepentant bitch, but a fascinatingly entertaining unrepentant bitch she is so dynamic and so entertaining in this and just just so fun as to watch and be like god you are fucking horrible i can't turn away from you like i cannot take my eyes off you you're so terrible um and, and so it's it's not a good movie under any like <laughs> traditional definition of the word it's based on a jackie collins book right you know what you're fucking getting into but she is a hurricane of like toxic charisma in this movie. Uh, and so I, I just think I rewatched it today. I hadn't seen it for years. I rewatched it today and I was like, cause I was, I was wavering between this and another movie. And I, I rewatched this today and I'm like, no, it's gotta be this. It's gotta be also, especially because, you know, land of the Pharaohs, not to be a pig, but to be a pig land of the Pharaohs made in the fifties. Uh, we couldn't, actually get joan collins as joan collins was meant to be seen joan collins provides everything that you could want in this movie oh so my. She okay is, he is butt-ass naked for a whole lot of the movie so um yeah uh again not good but a hell of a lot of fun and i think especially if we're at a theater where people are allowed to consume adult beverages by the time this rolls around they're going to be having a very good time <laughs> uh never heard of it can we just make it a triple and then watch the sequel to the stud called The Bitch? The Bitch. The Bitch The Bitch is even <laughs> she's even nastier in The Bitch, man. She is like a full-blown sociopath in The Bitch. It's not quite as it's it's not I don't think as good of a movie, but she is she is like a full-blown sociopath by the time The Bitch rolls around. This is a franchise. <laughs> I've never these, heard of this. This sounds really fun. These are the movies that got her dynasty. These these are the two oh. movies that got her dynasty. They they saw her on Dynasty and were or saw her in these and were like that's that's who we need. Nice. The bitch. We need her. We yeah. Um The Stud is not streaming anywhere but The Bitch is on Tubi for those that are curious. And, that's and how the, the bitch was meant to be seen. And the <laughs> stud is easily uh, findable if it, it, I believe it is out on Blu-ray, but it's also easily findable if you know Everywhere. you decide to go yeah. sailing the high seas uh, for a little while. Sweet. 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God. Okay. So this is really interesting. Quentin Masters has only directed uh, four movies. Uh, the Stud, Tub Thumping with Meg Foster, A Dangerous Summer with um, Tom Skerritt. And then this really, I think it's boring, Australian car chase movie called Midnight Spares, which just got announced for Blu-ray somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, I watched it for June Sploitation last year or two years ago, and like, oh, it was a real snooze fest. Um, but that's really interesting. Uh, I always, I, I never, I know Matt. He's a he's an IMDb guy. I'm always letterboxed now, so I never know if like who's done TV and all that kind of stuff. So maybe Quentin Masters has spent a lot of time in TV. I don't know, but he only has four movies. The Stud sounds fascinating. It's a little surprising, to be honest with you, that it, I, it had Danny, I think, continued to write cult movies books. It very likely might have ended up because it developed quite a cult following when it came out. Um, it, you know, it's kind of fallen by the wayside now, but it developed quite a cult following when it came out because it was just so 70s, tawdry, well, trashy, you know, airport romance novel shit. What, what's interesting is that the bitch is in the guide but the stud isn't in any of his books. So that's weird that he includes the the sequel, but not the original, not the first one. Cool. Okay, um, same. Mike, same as you. Complete, you know, we go for children's movie. This next one is not children's. Um, it's not even a, a narrative. It's a documentary. And it's one of my all-time favorite documentaries. And... You guys know I love the the collapse of the institution or like big companies. Um, I love to see the collapse because that's the sadism within me, I suppose. Um, uh, or or masochism. Which one is it? Either way. Um, but this one kind of hit close to home because we had it. This company was based originally in Omaha and I'm talking about Enron, the smartest guys in the room from 2005, 2005. It had taken Enron 16 years to go from about 10 billion of assets to 65 billion of assets. It took them 24 days to go bankrupt. The fatal flaw at Enron was pride. Arrogance, intolerance. All that money you guys stole from those poor grandmothers. <laughs> we can add a gazillion dollars to the bottom line. All right, that sounds fantastic. Did you convert stock worth sixty-six million dollars? Uh, I don't know. I netted approximately hundred million dollars. Enron is a company that deals with everyone with absolute integrity. Talk about my compensation, and if I step on somebody's throat on the way, that doubles it. Well, I'll stomp on the guy's throat. <laughs> the other thing about people at Enron is a lot of them were former nerds. You wanted to be the most popular guy on Wall Street and you were going to do whatever you had to do. They sought out every loophole they could in order to profit. The rules weren't quite clear. They could bury debt, they could bury losses. An industry that was very reliable for a hundred years was all of a sudden turned into a casino. 
Those guys could just yank the California economy on its leash whenever they wanted to, and they did it, and they did it, and they did it. He just steals money from California to the tune of a million bucks or two a day. Can we rephrase that? Could I predict uh, phony energy crisis as a result of deregulation? Yes. Could I predict that Arnold Schwarzenegger would be our governor as a result of deregulation? Oh, I didn't expect that. How exactly does Enron make its money? Accounting doesn't get that creative. I would like to know if you are on crack. This is the shredded evidence that came out of Enron. Everyone was on the bandwagon, and it can happen again. We are the good guys. We are on the side of angels. It has evolved to the corporate crime of the century. Directed by Alex Gibney. And it just details sort of uh, the rise of Enron, the energy trading company, and then the horrific collapse. And as much as I love to see the collapse of a big company or an institution, the collateral damage is always hard to see. And the collateral damage uh, around Enron was devastating. Like, you know, there was a a suicide, uh, but thousands of people of course lost their jobs but then lost all their retirement their pension their 401k and it was you know it forced these people then to keep working well into their retirement years which is which is terrible but this documentary is so well done and it pulls no punches first of all it's directed not directed it's narrated by the great peter coyote who has one of the all-time great just voices. So he's perfect for narration here. Um, and he's done a bunch of other documentaries uh, narrate. That's mostly what he does anymore, I think. Um, but they do, you know, they have interviews with people who used to work at Enron, uh, and then they include all sorts of uh, archival videos and commercials and interviews. And, and uh, they like go into all the details of this company and it's it's fascinating how it sort of interweaves into the bush administration in 2000 right before they you know everything kind of falls apart um but it's it i don't know it's just so fascinating enron was a merger of two companies one from texas and then one in omaha nebraska and they had one of the head they had a headquarters in Texas and then they had a headquarters in Omaha in actually my neighborhood i can see the enron building from our house uh which is crazy it's now a you know a bank or something but uh you know and so i remember of course when when this all happened cuz it was i was old enough to be aware of what was happening in the news and, and know about, you know, locally what was happening and thousands of people in our town lost their, lost everything. So, you know, it kind of hit close to home. Um, and there's also a great play that was written called, it's just called Enron. Um, but it sort of details the collapse, the inside, uh, collapse of, of the company. But, uh, I am forever fascinated by this. Like, you know, I think that's kind of why uh, Spotlight, that's why Spotlight is my favorite movie of all time. Um, because, of course, that collateral damage is is unspeakable. Um, 
but I I love it when you know the bad guys get what's coming to them. Unfortunately, the bad guys you know got like five years in prison for Enron, which is too bad. But uh, have either of you seen this documentary? Yeah, I saw it when it came out. It's it's great. I mean, you can't really go wrong with with Alex Gibney. I mean, he's just he's he's always uh, terrific. And so, um, yeah, this is a good recommendation. It's a it's a great movie. Daniel, have you seen it? I have not. I don't know very much about this history. So this is very interesting. Very interesting direction to take after Land of the Pharaohs, for sure. I was uh, greed is what I was thinking. Yeah. Like because Jack Hawkins Khufu is just a a greedy monster and uh enron was full of greedy monsters and led by just the greediest people um alex real quick alex like if you haven't seen the going clear scientology documentary from alex gibney really great based on the book by um uh oh fuck 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 based on uh, lawrence wright so but yeah you're right mike like Gibney is so good. Yeah, I, I really like. I love uh, Client Nine. That's that's oh, another okay. great one. The the rise and fall of Elliot Spitzer, um, and then uh, I really liked uh, his uh, Hunter S. Thompson one, Gonzo. Oh, Gonzo, um, yes, good stuff. Yeah, one of our best doc, one of our best living documentarians, hands down. Agreed. Agreed. Um, all right, Daniel, real quick, uh, your two titles one more time. The Sacrament from 2013 and Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy from 1955. <laughs> I love this. And Mike, your two titles. Prince of Egypt from 1998 and The Stud from 1978. <laughs> <laughs> and I did The Emperor's New Groove and Enron, The Smartest Guys in the Room. That is the wildest film festival you would ever go to. <laughs> I really like it. It's really fun. Yeah. Same. I dig it. Uh, gents, we did it. We talked about Land of the Pharaohs. I can't thank you enough. Uh, thanks for, for picking up picking up my slack. Your it, slack? What slack? Not picking up any slack at all. We're happy to do it, man. Like, yeah. I was literally confused. No, yeah. yeah, this was really fun. Yeah. This was entirely more fun than watching the movie, to be honest with you, which is oh, yes. I expected it would be. So, you know, that's that's always the nice thing about podcasting about bad movies. Sometimes it's a lot more fun to talk about them. So. Yeah, for yeah. sure. We got to cuddle. I haven't got to see Mike in a long time. Been a while. Oh, yeah, it's good. I'm yeah. glad I'm glad I could be the conduit to, uh, for this uh, romantic liaison. <laughs> <laughs> one is one is Jack Hawkins. The other is is uh, the bitch. I, I just say the bitch because she was in a movie called the bitch. Anyways, um, <laughs> Daniel, where are you online these days? Yeah. Uh, check me out on YouTube at the cobwebs channel, talking a lot about physical media and older movies. Um, check out the cobwebs podcast where the main thing I'm doing right now is the master carpenter series going through the films of John Carpenter and the films that influenced him. Um, and, uh, I don't know, I guess you can check me out on Twitter at Epler Daniel. I don't do much on there these days. I need to check out this blue sky thing. I keep putting it off. No, no, you don't. It's just all, all right. social media. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Mike, where are ye? 
IB, I guess, theoretically on uh, X Twitter. Uh, that's what I've started calling it, but it's EX. It's it's the X Twitter um, <laughs> at Hibachi Justice. Uh, I am on Blue Sky at A4E Podcast, um, and I'll eventually get on there as myself, too. Um, and you can find the podcast, A4E Podcast, on Twitter at A4E Podcast. You can find it anywhere podcasts can be found. And you can also go to Linktree slash A4E Podcast to find uh, out other places we might be, none of which are very active because I'm the social media manager and I fucking hate it. So uh, Twitter <laughs> Twitter is about as, as much as I could handle. So. Same. Follow me, even though I hate doing it. Well, <laughs> it is. It's, God, like having one, like a personal a social media account one personal social media account is enough work but then you know you factor in i i do facebook twitter and instagram and then you have the podcast on twitter and instagram it's like oh fuck i i hate it all why am i doing any of this yeah i haven't touched the cobwebs twitter in forever because i can't even keep up with one actually you can check out the cobwebs instagram at cobwebs pod i do stuff there sometimes so there you go there you go there you go links links in the show notes in the description folks uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram, like I was saying, at Cult Movies Pod. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram in Letterboxd at AK Donnelly. That's A K D O one N E double L Y. Did you get that? Uh, Patreon.com backslash the or Patreon.com backslash Cult Movies Podcast. I just uploaded a new one, my top 10 movies of 1980. And Daniel, I'm going to make a video about it too oh, later on this month. That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, just because, uh, you know, it looks like you're having so much fun over there. I'm like, I want to play too. Do but, it, man. It but, is fun. But not that much. I don't want to play that much. Maybe like once a month. You're uh, too cool to do it that much. Uh, I got you. <laughs> too cool. My, my, please. Uh, what else? Fthismovie.com. Um, every day there's cool stuff over there. But check me out on Fridays, my column notes on film, where it's a film journal and I'm, you know, just talking about life in general. That's it. We got two more episodes. Next week is Plan 9 from Outer Space with Heather Drain and Rachel McPadden. And then we're ending with The Wizard of Oz with Lindsay, as per usual. We're almost there, folks. We can do it. I, I believe in you. I believe in me. I hope you believe in me. I believe in a thing called love. Anyone? Song? Yes, this is the rhythm of my heart. <laughs> thank you, Mike. <laughs> thank you, Mike. All right, thank you both. Had a fun, had a fun time. <laughs>